Listen, there's a great work to be done. As soon as you win this court battle, you must deliver this message. Take advantage of this opportunity and declare a powerful message to this world. He expects more of us. He believes we can do more. Who's gonna stop Christ? Who's gonna stop Christ from getting this work done? This is Behind the Work. Welcome to Behind the Work. I'm Grant Turgeon. We're broadcasting to you today from the Herbert W. Armstrong College campus here in Edmond, Oklahoma. A couple of weeks ago on the show, I gave two ways that we can trace King David's royal line through the millennia, down through the ages, and how these two ways are actually evident in the latest Philadelphia Church of God music and dance production, Celtic Throne. So just for a quick reminder there, those two points involved uh, lion symbolism in the show. The lion is actually uh, the, the symbol of the tribe of Judah, and it actually ultimately refers to Jesus Christ. You could actually see that evident in Celtic throne during the Highlanders portion. So whenever they were in Scotland... Uh, Jude Flurry, the lead dancer, does actually fly that lion flag throughout that dance. Um, actually, the the hand gesture that they were doing during that is more of a, like a stag, but to me it had looked like a lion. So I'm glad I didn't say dogmatically that that was a lion gesture because it was a stag. The more obvious symbolism there, of course, is the the, the flag that has lions on it. And so that lion imagery is still evident all over England today. And like I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, people are confused as to why there's so much emphasis on lions in England when lions are not naturally found in the wild areas of England. You have to actually know the migrations of King David's line or else that lion symbolism doesn't really make any sense. Another point there that helps you track King David's line all the way through Ireland, Scotland, England, and America after starting in Jerusalem is simply the form of Irish dance itself. A Celtic throne is an Irish dance performance. There's dance all throughout that. But you can look at any of those nations I just mentioned today, and that form of dance is everywhere. It is very popular, of course, in Ireland primarily, but it's no surprise that dancers, Irish dancers from America and Scotland and Ireland and England tend to dominate world Irish dance competitions. That dance form actually seems to have originated from King David himself. And we talked about some of the scriptures that describe David's dancing. The way that he jumped for joy, powerful leaps and kicks, just like we see in Irish dance today. So those were two symbols there in Celtic throne that really do help you trace the migrations of King David's line. And then I left off, uh, didn't even talk about the third one, 
And then last week, I didn't want to talk about the third point because Philadelphia Church of God Pastor General Gerald Flurry had just given a message about it over the weekend that plenty of church members hadn't heard yet. So I didn't want to be accused of scooping the sermon in any way. So I waited. And today we're going to talk about that third point, which is the sons of Zadok. This is the third way that we can trace King David's line throughout the millennia. And also the third bit of symbolism in Celtic throne. And like I said, this is not an all-inclusive list. This, these are just three points that I wanted to talk about. There is a part of Celtic throne that is really glorifying empire. It is showing the grandeur, the spectacle the brilliance and magnificence of the British Empire. Uh, here in the Celtic Throne brochure or the, the program, empire is described simply as God, king, and country. In this dance number during the production, there is a young prince and a young princess, and they are courting. They are dancing together. The the prince presents a flower. The princess grac- graciously accepts. Uh, you see uh, the police officer there shaking hands with young children. You see an old man walking across the stage, and he's buying a newspaper on the street there. And then there's the army. You have, you have soldiers there marching in the streets, but really it's a dance number that just looks a bit more regimented and militaristic in the steps. So there is this courting couple, and finally they get married, you could say there, uh, toward the end of the number. And right when they get married, the fireworks go off, and you start to hear a bit of Zadok the Priest, which is a song that is always played uh, every time there is a coronation in Britain. So you have to kind of be paying attention there, but you do start to hear that familiar tune for just a few seconds in that dance number. And the reason that that song is still so prominent in Britain today is because it actually does trace all the way back to the origin of that kingly line. That kingly line actually did start with King David. And Zadok, the priest, was someone who was loyal to David all the way through. And it's really quite an inspiring example. There's a musical that the Philadelphia Church of God produced about David. It's titled David, the Endless Throne Begins. And in that, there is a song that really does glorify Zadok, the priest's child rearing because it wasn't just David who was loyal or Zadok who was loyal to David. It was also Zadok's sons, his grandsons. It really looks like Zadok taught his entire family line to stay loyal to David's kingly line. So that was some powerful child rearing there. We're going to play this basically two minute song from David the Endless Throne Begins and it is titled With Good News I Run. 
Absalom has died this day. This is the price that rebels pay for evil that is done against the Lord. His brother's life he had erased, his family's honor he disgraced, and chased his king and father into war. To save the king's life I risked my own as a secret agent of the throne, so God's elect obtained the upper hand. How bittersweet that his son fell, but still it means that all is well. King David can return unto the land. I run with glad tidings, I run with good news, I run with great vision to the man God did choose. To tell how God avenged him, how God's will has been done. I run with this message with good news. I run. I run to deliver. I run to declare. I run to distribute so our king is aware. He'll say as I'm approaching, it looks like Zadok's son. He runs with glad tidings, yes, with good news. I run. This yearning to report, this urgency, this heat Is wind behind my back and fire beneath my feet My swiftness is unmatched, my speed is not outdone And all who go before me I outrun I run as a herald, I run as a hope I run as a helper, God's man I uphold This will be our tradition my father and my sons will always be loyal with this good news. I run. That was With Good News, I Run from the PCG musical David, The Endless Throne Begins. And like I mentioned there, that song does bring honor to Zadok the priest's child rearing. That was Ahimaz singing there. And Ahimaz, Zadok's son, was really just an unquestioning supporter of King David. He actually was a spy on King David's behalf at one point. And as indicated by that song, he was also sent to deliver good news to King David that his side had won their civil war. Uh, Here in an article titled The Fighting Sons of Zadok from the November-December 2010 Royal Vision, Mr. Gerald Flurry wrote, The men who were loyal to David and to God had to be strong warriors. Just think about some of the trials David endured. David sinned with Bathsheba and even had her husband murdered. Two of David's own sons came very close to kicking him off his throne. Men like Zadok had to deal with many serious problems and difficult struggles. But Zadok was there from beginning to end and never left David, never left God. So like I've been saying, Zadok was loyal from beginning to end, no matter what. No matter how much David sinned, because he knew that God was still with David. 
David knew how to repent. It wasn't just that David was sinning constantly and living a, a crazy lifestyle and never turning back to God. He always repented and made sure that he got back on track. Zadok could see those fruits. He could see that God was working with David. And so he never left. Of course, that's really difficult to do sometimes. It can be hard to obey government when we see leaders occasionally make mistakes. Sometimes we might try to use that as a mistake or as an excuse to not obey government. But Zadok knew better. He saw beyond the man to the God behind the man. And he taught all of his children and all of his grandchildren to do the same thing. Zadok was actually a mighty warrior before he was ever ordained a priest. He was one of the men who basically told David after seven years of David ruling only over Judah that Israel wanted to be ruled by him too. You can see that in 1 Chronicles 12. Zadok was one of the mighty men who essentially transferred the kingdom of Saul over to David, the rest of Israel. So that meant that David would then rule a unified nation, not just Judah, but Israel and Judah unified again. Israel finally coming together after a deadly civil war, after pretty much Saul trying as hard as he could to murder David. And Zadok wanted to have unity. He wanted to make sure that finally all of Israel would be one. And so he essentially did show unity. He did show that he wanted the nation united under David. Zadok also was pretty much the one who trained up Benaiah. If you know much about the story of Benaiah in the Bible, that's, that's a really interesting one because Benaiah was pretty much God's hitman. <laughs> he was the hitman of all of God's kings, uh, David and then Solomon. Any of, the, any of the enemies of God pretty much got taken out by Benaiah very quickly. And Zadok trained Benaiah. This was before Zadok was even a priest. He trained up mighty Benaiah who went out and slaughtered the enemies of God pretty much within a day. He'd, he'd track them down all over the nation and he'd take them out. So Zadok was not just a loyal priest. He was also a mighty fearsome warrior and a warrior for God, which made it admirable. Let's look at 1 Kings 1 verses 23 through 26. And they told the king, saying, Behold, Nathan the prophet, and when he was come in before the king, he bowed himself before the king with his face to the ground. And Nathan said, My lord, O king, have you said Adonijah shall reign after me, and he shall sit upon my throne? So this is the prophet Nathan talking to King David. Because Adonijah, David's son, is rebelling. He's trying to stage a coup and usurp the throne. Verse 25. For Adonijah is gone down this day and has slain oxen 
and fat cattle and sheep in abundance. And has called all the king's sons and the captains of the host and Abiathar the priest. And behold, they eat and drink before him and say, God save King Adonijah. But me, even me, your servant, and Zadok the priest, and Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, and your servant Solomon, has he not called? This passage is a great honor to Nathan, Zadok, Benaiah, and Solomon, because Adonijah knew not to welcome them to his kingly feast. He knew that these men were going to be loyal to David. Zadok is in that group. Benaiah, who Zadok trained, is in that group. And all of Zadok's children and grandchildren are in that group by extension. Adonijah knew they wouldn't rebel, so he didn't even bother inviting them to his illegitimate kingly feast. And this is really just an inspiring example for those of us doing God's work today, because God does think very highly of the sons of Zadok. That's how God describes his loyal people today, those who hold fast through all the different rebellions in this end time. All, all these different opportunities where it is possible to rebel against government, and yet God really does think highly of those who refuse to do that and who decide to stay loyal. In fact, you can look at Ezekiel 48 verse 11. God says that only the sons of Zadok will administer or will minister closely with him for all eternity right there in the temple, right next to God. This is including people as a part of God's church today who are loyal despite all the rebellion around us, staying loyal. And so this is just one part of Celtic throne that really does inspire us because it does give honor to Zadok and to the sons of Zadok dancing there on stage, really glorifying God through music and dance. That's just one way that we can trace King David's line through the millennia, that sons of Zadok music and dance. So to end this show today, we will play one last feature about Celtic Throne. That will end the show. Thanks so much for listening today. I'm Grant Turgeon. You are listening to Behind the Work. Celtic Throne is the latest Philadelphia Church of God music and dance production, recently staged in Edmond, Oklahoma, on June 28th, July 5th, and July 7th, with shows in between in Branson, Missouri, on June 30th and July 1st. Thousands of eager spectators attended the five performances over a 10-day stretch, and hundreds more watched online. Celtic Throne is more than a dance show. It traces the history of Irish dance, a form of which originated with King David in ancient Jerusalem and was carried with the descendants of the Kingdom of Israel across seas, islands, oceans, and centuries through Ireland, Scotland, England, and America. The name of the show and its story focus on God's promise to David that he would preserve his ruling dynasty forever and would ultimately use it to establish his government on earth with the return of Jesus Christ. 
Celtic Throne director Brad McDonald described the show as a giant monument to celebrate Israel. The show was conceived a couple of years ago and assembled well in advance of the recent socialist upheaval in America. Occurring around Independence Day weekend and amid the news of riots and desecrating the memories of great Americans, the five shows were even more poignant. A backdrop of Mount Rushmore, for example, that would have otherwise been a nice touch, became instead a standout image due to the recent controversy and the president's July 3rd speech there. The crowds at the last two performances in Edmond, which took place within four days of that speech, gave loud standing ovations when Mount Rushmore appeared on screen. Standing ovations also occurred after music numbers that celebrated America, including a vocal number blending You're a Grand Old Flag, Oklahoma, America the Beautiful, and My Country Tis of Thee. Throughout the show, the hundreds of audience members were loud, overtly patriotic, and visibly appreciative of the performers. They even reacted to the efficiency of the stage crew as it set risers, a pair of Steinway pianos, an 80-pound harp, and other set pieces. Audience members had a lot to say. Patrons at the July 5th show called it shock and awe, stunning, marvelous, and stirring all at the same time, and phenomenal. One said the performance could not be any better. Prior to the July 7th finale, one family was overheard criticizing the PCG which produced the show. But as Celtic Throne progressed, they were later seen and heard clapping along, cheering, and making positive comments. Perhaps more important than anything else, Celtic Throne is a family affair. The church family involved in the production includes 47 musicians and dancers, representing 25 family names, meaning many of them are parents, children, siblings, or cousins to other performers, and all are friends. At a cast dinner before the first show in Branson, Celtic Throne producer Stephen Flurry said, Oh, well, that's what makes it so fun, the fact that it's... I said even in the prayer, the fact that it's a family activity, it wouldn't be the same without, I was just telling Mrs. McDonald that I think there's maybe five, six ministers here and quite a few dads. So it just shows how much support that the dads have given to, uh, to their children and their hobbies and their activities over the years. And to kind of see it culminate, even though it doesn't end with this, but to see it culminate in this kind of a production is really special. Mr. Flurry said of non-church members who watch Celtic Throne. Well, they won't probably understand the, the, all the message behind it like we do, but 
they will definitely go away with a very positive, uplifting experience. And hopefully it would be enough to make them curious about the church and what we believe and what we produce and why we produce it. And you just never know. They might end up going to the Trumpet.com website or requesting literature or maybe having a really interesting conversation with one of our members. The idea for Celtic Throne was hatched almost two years ago, but really took off in October 2019 when Philadelphia Church of God Pastor General Gerald Fleury used part of his sermon time at the Feast of Tabernacles to play a promo video. That video electrified the church and jump-started nine months of intensive preparation, crafting a powerful story of the migrations of David's kingly line, choreography, dance practice, lighting and effects programming, staging, marketing, costuming, and more. Costumer Deborah Hirma said. Okay, we started working, talking about costumes right after the feast. So um, from then till now is about nine months. Probably actively working on them has been the last six months. Uh, we, we probably had a mixture of buying things and altering it to fit and, and some things are made from scratch. And we just wanted each number to be exciting, something new when, when the dancers pop out on stage. I mean, the costumes really tell the story as well. Definitely. Yeah, yeah you know, the, the farewell, the girls are in blue, they look like the water, and festival islands, so everybody's in green, Scotland, everyone's in tartan, then all the really dark, scary numbers are black. And then you end with Utopia, just in this bright, shiny, this is completely opposite to the darkness that was right before. Most Celtic Throne dancers are from Edmond, but 12 of them traveled into town from England, Canada, Washington State, Pennsylvania, and Ohio to be part of the production. Due to coronavirus lockdowns, some of the non-locals, including Haley Sander, had to master the dance steps in total isolation. Um, it was lonely. <laughs> at home and it was very different because when we're practicing for competition you have a teacher right there that you can ask anything and just having a video to learn from is you try to learn it as best as you can but you have no one right there to ask so that was like one of the main things differences from coming out here was I have like Paris and Alexa that I can just ask right now and there's a lot of little things that they've been fixing that I never even thought of before that they just had to see me do in person to know to fix. Okay, so they so they make instructional videos and you just kind of have to follow them by yourself or do you have a coach back home that helps you with it too? Um, I just had to follow them by myself because all of the dance schools were shut down. So I was just at home by myself. Wow, so how much time per week would you say you spent trying to learn it? Um, I picked it up initially pretty quickly. It was just the technique that took a long time to fix. So about a month before I came out here, I was practicing every day. 
Wow, and then once you got here, obviously you had a few practices. How many practices did you have with everyone here, and how long did it take you to get used to dancing with everyone else? Um, I think we jumped in pretty quickly. It was a little bit difficult because now there's people in my way <laughs> that weren't there before, but um, it was pretty easy to get in with everybody else. Okay, last thing, what is it like dancing on stage in front of a big crowd at Armstrong Auditorium? It's exciting. Yeah. It's so much more fun and exciting than even the dress rehearsals. Just knowing that there's people out there and you're performing. For some performers, Celtic Throne represented the triumph of perseverance. Harpist Sky Malone said, My parents are like, all right, decide right now, do you really want to do this? Because after we get really far into the harp, you're not going to get out because it's really expensive. And I'm like, yes, I really want to do this. And to this day, I still really enjoy playing it. There are some times whenever I wish I didn't play harp because it's very hard. It's a lot harder than people would think. But I'm really glad that I chose it because it's a really unique instrument and so whenever people see the harp they're like "Ooh, that's a harp so cool and i'm like hey i'm the one playing that celtic throne might be the greatest production in philadelphia church of god history celtic throne is a showcase of the highest quality music and dance in the world celtic throne is an urgent and joyful view of the past present and future Celtic Throne is over for now. Look out for the CD and DVD in the coming weeks and months. You've been listening to Behind the Work. Email your thoughts to comments at kpcg.fm. Listen for a new episode each Monday at 1130 a.m. Central Time.